0: Hello. Hey, Andy. Hey, Matt. So this mini-series is all recorded at TDC, where I know Streamtime has a big presence. Our uh, highlight of the year, I think, you know, the design conference. Uh, Not only is it a chance for us to kind of get up to Brizzy and spend time all together as a team, but it's just, it's the perfect immersion into the industry. And, you know, like anything that we sort of sponsor, we are supporting great people doing good things, And, you know, the design conference is just such a great example of that. Maddie Haynes does an amazing job. There's just no ego. There's lots of great vibes. You're always, you know, you could be sat next to a speaker. You could be sat next to a student um, and everyone's just all in together. So it's, yeah, definitely one of our uh, favorite places to be, go and support for sure. That was Andy Wright, CEO of Streamtime, good friend and supporter of ADR. If you haven't tried out Streamtime before, make sure you do. You can get a free trial and a 20% discount by going to streamtime.net slash ADR 2020. Welcome to Australian Design Radio, our podcast seeking to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. As part of that, we acknowledge traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their enduring connections to the land, knowledge and stories. I'm recording this on Gundungurra and Darug country and I pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. I'm your host Matt Leach and on this episode I'm joined by co-host Marla Yeomans. Myla is a Brisbane-based graphic designer and recent winner of Best Emerging Designer, Orb Award, at the Design Conference, which is where we're recording. Myla, having worked in NGOs, NFPs, and advocacy groups, wanted to know how designers could make a positive contribution to combating stigma. We put together a list of designers where their impact could be measured as breaking down stigma, and the first person Myla put down was Keisha Leon, founder and director of Leon Design. Keisha cut her teeth in magazine design before taking up a senior position at Lorna Jane, in 2018, she moved to Carbon Creative before deciding it was time to do her own thing. Being a one-year and Kalkadoon woman, Leon Design is a First Nations-owned and operated creative consultancy, specializing in conceptual design. We get into the what, why, and how in the interview. Quick shout out to Matt Haynes and the TDC crew. It's an amazing experience this year, and I feel so lucky to have been there in person as I sit here in the eighth straight week of lockdown. Anyway, enough from me, let's jump into the episode. So the noise you can hear behind us is the crowd at the Design Conference 21, which is actually supposed to be 20, but obviously mm. we don't we don't talk about 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't
1: happen.
0: Have you seen anyone good, Kesha?
1: Yeah, I think uh, like uh, as I was saying before, the whole collective of the talks have been really kind of inspiring, but also not just in kind of a design sense of like good work being done, but in a very progressive way of thinking I think like the future of what the industry is and the future of the world as well and a greater perspective so I just think every talk has kind of brought their own journey but also their own perspective on where they want to see change yeah it's been very reflective of the last year and a bit, I think. Yeah, definitely where everyone's head's at at the moment.
0: You said something really nice before, like, was it eco over ego?
1: Yeah, I just think um, it's a very kind of reflective um, notion on that design is now kind of moving away from the ego and moving into the eco, which I think is where we need to go if we're, because we're very much the drivers of change.
2: You've been working freelance alongside sort of full-time positions for most of your career. And I was wondering how that balance has gone for you and maybe what led you to
1: go full-time into Leon Design. Yeah, it, it's, it's a, a multifaceted thing. Um, you know, I think I was always probably naturally type of person to kind of move into wanting to work with myself and kind of find my own process and um, I've always had an interest I think even from the early freelance days in the back of my mind it was always there I just didn't have that like kind of nurturing to kind of make it a reality as I think a lot of people who work go and work for themselves do.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: It really coincides with like my identity as well I just think it wasn't nurtured in the workplace as much. I think i um, forgot her name as well yesterday on the diversity panel she made it when you don't see it out there for you if you don't have someone to kind of stand there and be like a reflection of what your future wants to be it's not really something you think of yeah and there's there's still I mean there's still so many people that go out on their own and whatnot but I guess when you're moving in the circles or creative spaces um and environments and it's not there it's not something you can kind of picture yourself doing
0: it's so hard isn't it because I mean, a lot of educators, especially design educators, talk about how many female students there are, but then, you know, you don't see that in the actual workforce. And it is really hard when you're, like, teaching, like, I guess, emerging talents and not being able to kind of see someone they could kind of, I guess, hope to be or aspire to be. Did you find that?
2: Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it was primarily women in my course, and I think that's sort of reflected across Australia. Creative industries tends to be more like, Female-dominated in the study, but it's not sort of reflected in those high up those leadership positions. So yeah, I definitely found that as well.
1: And I, yeah, I think as well, like, is I was kind of lost in what I wanted to do as well. Um, and I think a lot of people come out of university, and there's that kind of yeah, what you see is that linear projection to agency life, and you know you have to go through the corporate ladder. But that's only really one aspect of the design industry, as I was saying. It's a small piece of the pie. So. Yeah and so I think there was that kind of big push to be like big as well like if you're going to work for yourself then you have to scale up and like become this like big agency but and that's what I really love seeing like Studio Chen Chen as well because and on a lot of those small studios and the diversity of talks is that you know you can just like you you have the ability there's so many pros to like working for yourself or as a sole trader or as a small studio and it's that choice of work and it's that choice of lifestyle and it's like being able to, you know, have those relationships with the client. So it's it's like not, not understanding that, like, what you need to value is essentially what you need to work towards instead of, like, doing a carbon copy of everyone coming through um, the design space and, like, yeah, built around the ego, which is, like, you know, being an award-winning designer, make really cool things that everyone loves, you know. <laughs> um, it's just so much more than that. Yeah.
0: There's, there's been quite a bit of chat about feeling confident about charging the right amount as well. Have you found that that was hard to kind of work that out for your own business?
1: Yeah, and I, I think because I was coming in when I went out on my own, I'm very much like in a niche and um, a small percentage of like Indigenous designers and really focus on that area of work as well. And it's a value, like, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a small picking. So um, I do have that, I very much value price, but I even talk to people in my, you know, other... Um, awesome people in the Indigenous space, like um, Blacklash, really great um, mentors for me as well. But in, I, every time I talk to them, they're like, you're not – you're under, always undervalued. Every time I talk to them, even today, the other day when I talked to them, they're like, you're still selling yourself short. And, yeah, and it's just kind of that – I think it comes back to what they were saying today about confidence. Like, you just – you're kind of, like, thinking, oh, I'm just a one-man band. I can't charge too much. Like, you know – it's all those, like, previous models of, like, how you structure work in your head. But actually, like, you are you are so valuable as a designer. And so it's just about... And that confidence just to kind of, like, I, I don't know, put it up more or um, um, stand behind the work that you do um, because then you can be more selective with the people you want to work with then as well. and You don't get those... Yeah, you get the good work.
0: Cat Birds just had that lovely graphic where it's just that kind of, I guess idea of if you say no you actually have more time to do better work Yeah, so I really liked
1: that's definitely something I'm trying to implement at the moment like doing less of a lot of work allows for those good people to come through and those good opportunities to come and be able to work on those things
2: and you have to sort of take a risk at a point with that as well where you are saying no to like something that would be keeping income coming in for something that you don't necessarily see lined up yeah but it it comes and you have to be able to take it when it does so
1: yeah Definitely, part
2: of it. Uh, I have a process sort of related question for you. A lot of your approach is really centered around storytelling, and I guess I was just wanting to talk more about that. And I suppose I'm wondering if that's something that has always been the case in in your design process, or if that's something that's developed over time.
1: Yeah, I think so, it, storytelling as well. I think as well as is really linked into, with conceptual thinking, and I really like the two kind of together. It's like taking that broader concept, but also, you know, you want people to connect because it's, it's you know, heart always wins overhead and, and it's about connecting with that emotion um, and, and people want to feel relatable and feel that they can connect with something and a story. And I think... In my way of approaching design, particularly as well, and w- when I work with my clients, it's always about selling the narrative and selling. I was like selling. <laughs> like, it's always about connecting through the narrative with my clients and like.
0: Wait, wait, why did you stop yourself from saying selling?
1: <laughs> I don't selling just sells like I'm like it's, it. sounds a bit kind of like I'll sell you this. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> I think I think she's undervaluing herself. Yeah,
1: it, it <laughs> does sound that <laughs> way. <laughs> 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 yeah, it is part of the process, and I think every kind of creative and agency has that process, and mine is a. Really really about selling that and it's a selling about that connection which is really important for me because as we all know like then the visual comes and it's like it makes sense so
0: yeah. I love that. I I love that. Sort the story out and the visual will come.
1: Yeah or else you're just doing exactly what a lot of the speakers have been saying which is just you know again taking the Pinterest model or taking the trend model and it's not something that then you can look back on and think. You know, you want to look back at your designs, even if, like me, I get (laughs) severe imposter syndrome and say, oh, my God, I never want to see that again. But it's a part of you. That piece of design, whatever it is, whether it be a logo, whether it be an artwork, is related to a point of your life and it's really a reflection of both maybe the macro scale of the world as well but also your individual development. And that's a point of time and it's a story in itself. So, yeah, and it's something that's authentically you and a part of you. You do want to kind of put your heart on your sleeve with your work alone and when you do that it's the work that matters to you and it's not just like you know i could look at my logos from when i was like i just coming out of a like out of uni and i can actually see you know it was just literally taking like bits and pieces and it doesn't have a connection to you at all so yeah yeah
0: you gotta burn those <laughs> yeah burn yeah. them to the ground
2: <laughs> no it's a record yeah. <laughs>
0: it's interesting because we're actually sitting below a massive screen where marie farit is actually drawing but what I love about her drawing, so she's drawing people who just come up and um, sit in front of her, but she talks, she's talking all the time to them and, like, pulling out their stories, which is really nice, and um, and then sort of doing live drawing. Okay, we are here to answer a question, though. Yeah. So I'm going to throw over to you now and ask you what the question is and, and why it's important to you.
2: So my question that I've sort of come up with for this set is how can design help to combat stigma? And I think it's something that I'm really sort of fascinated by and passionate about and I feel like I've been lucky to work on a lot of sort of projects which have that focus. I mean, more broadly, the way that design kind of interacts with the social landscape and what is being talked about and what isn't and bringing things into kind of conversation that maybe wouldn't otherwise. I think it has a really special sort of power to do that. And I guess I just wanted to talk to more people about it and sort of dive into that and get a bit more hands-on, tangible sort of information.
1: I mean, it's a big question because there's, I think there's so, it's so complex and like any of these questions are complex and I guess my perspective is my perspective on it. But in saying that, I think it always starts with the foundations at the foundational level um, so, as we were saying today, you know, the kind of tone of the design conference over the three days has been, you know, had a really big shift in its thinking and it kind of starts there. I mean, stigma starts with the creator, I really think. So, you know, when you're not bringing people with lived experiences or diversity or an inclusion to the table at the very beginning, at the very idea generation or the or the or just the first contact, you're already kind of like creating those barriers to communicate to people. And so, when... I think a lot of it comes down to kind of being able to connect with people and I think when you're talking about stigma, um, you know, anything from mental health to approaching like minority groups, any kind of minority group there, it's about bringing those people to the table and taking the hard road um, in design and in communication and being uncomfortable in a lot of the process and also not knowing the outcome of the process as well as I think is really important. I think we all want to have this preconceived idea of like just... Doing the work and like it being awesome <laughs> uh, and feeling good about it and feeling altruistic about it, but that's still like really centering around the ego side of design. So, I think a lot of it is just about having those tough conversations and getting, I guess, essentially hands dirty in um, in complex issues um, and starting there because. We, as designers, are the communication um, that the world sees, and we are kind of people who do progress change a lot. So, I think we have to take our role really seriously in what stigma is and breaking it down.
0: How do you get that across to the clients?
1: It's a tough conversation as well. It's the same as having the, sa- the it with creatives. Um, clients have a lot to do as well, and they... they very much live under the same structures that put these stigmas in place. And, you know, a lot of government clients, social change is very much run through the government in Australia and um, predominantly and um, NGOs. Um, So they kind of are a lot of the cause of a lot of problems and um, put up a lot of those barriers um, already, especially with First Nations people. So it's really hard for them to kind of, you know, they might have COVID, for instance, they might have messages around COVID that, that need to kind of, reach those people but when you have those that stigma and those barriers up already like it's it's not helping anyone so I think It's really difficult and the clients need to take that autonomy to to also, it's not always up to. I think a lot of what we've been doing in the past is leaning on groups of people to to guide us where it's, and you know, um, Indigenous people, whether it's like um, any minority group, we're relying too heavily on them to be the change, whereas we as like a lot of the majority of Australia and design agencies, clients, they're the people that actually need to do the heavy lifting and feel uncomfortable because how are we meant to break down stigma when it's, you know, it's a one-way street?
2: I think kind of focusing in on that idea of, like, a lot of the projects that you work on, they're representing really kind of complex and often fluid concepts, and I'm wondering how you approach that um, in your practice as a designer.
1: Yeah, it's really difficult for me, too, I think, too. Like, I find myself always uncomfortable in my own work, even though a lot of my work generally comes from my ex- perspective. Um, I'm very much operating kind of like in a conceptual way, um, you know, but a lot of the bigger, bigger ones that I come on board with, it's, um, you know, taking the time to like do, I guess, like engage with those communities of people before like, you know, a graphic designer or someone even becomes involved, um, there's so many stages in the process where you can kind of implement these things to help kind of the outcome and the direction. I was talking to G yesterday and particularly, and it, and it's really like a lot of the problem is like everyone's just willing to cut corners, I think. Um, so, they're not willing to kind of go down the road untraveled. Um, so... Yeah, I think – and sorry, rounding back to my process. (laughs) A lot of the projects I work on generally relate to me um, and and kind of my experiences. And I actually end up having to say – I've had to say no a lot, not because the the project might be um, not good or they're not doing it right, but also because it doesn't suit me, like I'm not the right person. Because I actually have to kind of um, reconcile sometimes with myself that I'm not always – I'm, can be the like, kind of um, palatable option sometimes for people so in, in kind of a really complex issue. So it's about kind of saying, no, I think this is the way you need to do it instead and it sometimes just means saying no to a massive job but it's, I feel in myself that sits it's, it's the p- better thing to do um, and you know it's, I could just say yes to every job and I think at the start of when I started working for myself I did because I was kind of like got to get every job you know really excited about the work but now I've kind of like in my own reflection and like my own journey of working for myself I've had to take a step back and go, hey, like what are the jobs that actually I should be working on and what are the jobs that I can like give to other people or, you know, um, let the client actually sit on it a bit longer and think that this isn't the right time or it's kind of I- identifying that um, and, um, yeah, not just saying uh, that yes to everything but making sure that if I'm going to live the values that I really want to um, project in my business, I really have to kind of like... Make sure that that my onboarding process with clients or how I interact with clients is exactly the same.
2: Yeah, I suppose it's, it's really a lot then for you to have to sift through as I suppose social impact and a lot of those issues become more marketable and in often cases the price of admission sort of for business. Um, there's an increased demand to address that more superficially and I suppose you have to in a way be able to see through that or like that's definitely part of what your job is
1: yeah there is a lot of I guess it's good to hear a lot of noise but at the same time yes um, I think a lot of those other problems can kind of sneak in as well like you know I I think tokenism is a really big thing that I have to face all the time
0: how how does it um I'm interested from your point of view when you notice tokenism what does it look like
1: tokenism I think it's just like you're the only person at the table I, I might come on a project and um, because I'm I still you know a graphic designer and I did digital art as well like it's I'm coming in at a certain time of the project because I'm just like uh, an, a sole trader in that sense and sometimes you know I can come on I don't know when I'm coming in on the project I don't know how much the client's done and and sometimes I'm used in a bigger sense than what is probably like right for me to use yep. Or um, you know, I come in on a, a creative position and then have to be leveraged in so many other ways. So,
0: so so it's all about your name. They've got your name on the door, and that's that's all they needed. It's
1: like bo- box ticking at the end of the day, and I think it's it, it can be done in a myriad of ways, uh, but it's kind of just identifying that at the start and thinking, you know, is this kind of because. At the same time, I'm reconciling tokenism in its sense as well because um, I had a bit of a moment for the last six months where I'm kind of like it's putting me in a position that I didn't expect to be in. Like I thought, you know, and that's kind of the nature of the beast as well anyway. But, um, you know, my cousin who is a barrister and works a lot in kind of native title um, is an Indigenous barrister and he kind of gave me some good advice and actually his wife who does a lot of work in DV um, and in law as well. And both of them were kind of just like, sometimes, at this, you know, when there's not many people around you that do what you do, you kind of just have to be in that space alone at the start. And that's the reality of it. But you've got to be there because you've got to kind of set at least some sort of path <laughs> for the next generation to come through and or, or kind of like to people to be able to see that that's the way to do it. And un- I think sometimes you just have to sit with that uncomfortableness myself and being in a position where I don't think I'm probably
0: um, like good enough. Or Is that your imposter syndrome coming through as well?
1: Yeah, a bit of both, yeah.
0: <laughs> nice, nice combination, yeah. That's, that's the cocktail I want to drink.
1: They so could unpack that for ages, Yeah. <laughs> And and it's hard because my identity is so intrinsically linked with what I do and kind of I'm very much an empath and (laughs) feel very (laughs) sensitively as well. So all those things, whilst they work really well for what I do, at the same time, they're kind of like the things that hold you back as well. So it's just about kind of working through that. And I think a lot of that is just about knowing when it feels right or not and trusting your gut that Yes, do I, should I be here and like be the voice right now or sh- is this like not the place where it's uh, it's not going to bring value? Because I think that's what someone said the other d- uh, they've been saying in the conference as well. I really like that idea of like where can you, what is the work that you're doing, whether it's like a big job or a small job or free or whatever, is it providing value at the end of the day? And so I have to think about that in a more collective way. It's like, am I doing right for like, you know, um, you know, people who matter most to me so yeah in that
0: scenario that second scenario that you mentioned where you have noticed that okay this is i'm the token person here how do you approach that
1: it's hard because i mean i you know i make up um nation people make up 3.5 percent of the population as um mom pointed out in her speaker on wednesday um so it's it's just it's again just known, and i think a lot of people who are coming through i guess like um who are from minorities and doing the design and and trying to, like, design with purpose in that sense. Um, Yeah, I think that's always going to be the case because you are the minority, you are the difference. So it's... But it's about at the same time, like, knowing that that's such a, a special place to be at the same time. So it's both, like being isolated but also like knowing that like you know this is what I want to do and I have a really special thing
0: yeah there's an opportunity here but but then it also feels like it needs to be called out as well
1: oh definitely yeah I'm kind
0: of wondering like do you do you call it out with the client
1: yes yep now I do um asked me that a year ago no I wouldn't have yeah and it just comes back to a confidence thing as well and kind of like, when you take on those jobs that you know don't feel right and you ha- don't have the confidence to say no, that's when you get caught in those positions where you're like, like, what was I doing? Like, or, you know, kind of was that good in the end? Or, or could someone ha- else have done it better? Yeah.
0: I remember Roz from um, Bellaringi talking about, like, it was a way – she worked out a way to do it that actually didn't say – it wasn't a closed door. It was like, look, this – is happening and um but we can fix it this way
1: yeah definitely and i think that's this i definitely agree with ros there but that um it's not just about saying no and shutting the door because you're not helping that person they're just going to do it anyway then they're just going to cause like those barriers and that stigma is just going to perpetuate so it's about like saying no but this you know what, This have you thought about this solution? Like, I think you should, you know, go to these people, um, go to this person, they're really good with handling this type of stuff or I don't think you've done enough, like, competency at this point so I think you should do this. It's about offering a solution but protecting myself and saying that you're not ready to work with me or I'm not the right person. So I think anyone in the design space, it's kind of related to as well, you know, recognising that and not being so driven by, I guess, like, again, the ego and money and stuff and seeing, like, if you have a value system that you, that, you know, I have a very strong value system of how I want to see the future of, you know, design in Australia in, that, in a holistic way. Clients are there to, like, you know, work for you. You are, they, you should be vetting the client, not the other way around. So it's, you know, I under, in, an, in a more kind of, like, cocky way, it's like, you know, it's more of a privilege to be working with those people, um, at the table it's more of a privilege to have first nations people in a project with you so don't take it seriously and do your due diligence beforehand talk about free work though I just
2: feel like the amount of conversations I've seen you have with prospective clients where it's like have you actually thought about why you're bringing me into this project and what you're trying to do and
1: it's this whole trip then at the end of the day they're like oh yeah thanks, bye, <laughs> we'll mm. go do other things. Like, it's not just something you throw in at the end kind of thing. It's not a, like a consolation prize. So, yeah, just like... <laughs>
0: so lately there's been a, a kind of term I keep on like keeping in my brain as much as possible. Like, it's that change have to get. and It's like we don't have to get people in you know on the at the table we get to have people at the table and it's like there's a real there's a privilege there's an opportunity yeah Yeah,
1: and i I think there's only so much you can control and you kind of just have to like um protect your energy as well like i think um especially through the last year with um black lives matter i know a lot of first nations people including myself um really felt the brunt of everyone wanting a piece of you um so it's about recognising that as well. Yeah, it's really flipped and now people want all, all of these diversity and, the, and diversity and inclusion have kind of become really big things. They're like, oh, we have to have diversity in the workplace. And yes, definitely. Um, but what are you doing to kind of like nurture it and what are you doing to kind of create these environments where diversity flourishes organically instead of just this forced, like let's put everyone through the same cookie cutter type scenario. And I think it's very much applicable to... Um, you know, freelancing, anyone like client interaction—it's just the same kind of model. So it's about moving away from, I guess, those models and into a place where we probably don't understand ourselves yet, but we kind of really do have to go on that journey. On that as well, I was just—I was wondering about,
2: I guess, how you see the design industry's sort of level of self-awareness around that, because whenever it's approached from a whole sort of industry perspective, it seems to be very much around really tangible, kind of removing barriers to entry, which is like...
1: Yeah, it's that same kind of response. It's like you can open up the door, but like what's behind the door, like there's about a thousand other barriers there. Um, So it's not a safe place or it's kind of like capitalist succession to like success as well like it doesn't work for um every culture every um, group of people so it's about kind of and even with mental health as well you know people work differently um have different perspectives so it's about how how is a workplace um you know fostering that rather than like clipping people at the wings and so a lot of what why I liked working for myself was because I was able to kind of explore my own identity um, and explore my own process um, outside of I guess outside of um, what was expected of me in in turn so and being able to kind of go on that road myself so I still think I guess the industry as a whole has a, a very much a lot of work to do as I do I'm not a pessimist I'm always an optimist but at the same time I definitely can see the reality around me and it's definitely not enough
0: there was, um, there was something mentioned on stage today when, uh, when we were giving acknowledgement to country. And it was mentioned about, like, quite often, like, Zoom. Obviously, we're all on Zoom at the moment and um, maybe talking with people overseas. And at the moment, it's very, like, Australian thing to give acknowledgement to country. Yeah. How did that sit with you? I mean, I'm interested from both of you because I was like, I'd never thought about, like, all the other First Nations out there who, who are not getting that... As well
1: yeah definitely i mean it's t- it's it's the basic level of things that people can be doing it's like kind of the, the lowest bar that we as a nation can be doing and as the world um we all live on like um, stolen lands and we all live on other people's countries so we need to acknowledge that and pay respects to that i think it's the the least that we can do yeah i think it's really builds that acknowledgement of where we are as well you know when we're coming in on a zoom meeting from all over the nation like whose country are you on like pay that your respects to those that country you know we're on younger and durable countries today and um able to kind of live and thrive in their countries so pay your pay your respects yeah
0: so thank you so much for like spending time with us have you got any final thoughts
1: yeah i think in terms of um i guess australia's and and the i guess design industry and everyone um it's kind of not about the minorities to do the work for everyone else it's very much you know it's not about first nations people about getting people to have reconciliation like it's it's about everyone kind of like doing their own part in it and um being uncomfortable like they said you know i think black lives matter really showed that kind of it was a big burnout for me um particularly and i know for a lot of other first nations people um friends family it's like it's 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 like just because you're you know just because in first station doesn't mean i have to have an opinion on everything you know my focus is really on kind of the industry that i'm in and the things that i connect to um and the things that i find important to me and there's so many issues out there and there's such great spokespeople for those issues and it's not up to them to answer those questions for you 24 7 and take their energy from them just because like you can't take the uncomfortable route of understanding yourself and a lot of it comes down to understanding like where you sit in your in the power and privilege as a person but also as an industry as like how you I guess contributing to systemic issues and how you can make that change yourself and like you know obviously leaning on a lot of those um kind of people as and putting their voices up high but at the same time it comes at a cost where you know my energy was really drained last year and I had a lot of mental health problems last year because it was so, it was all of a sudden what everyone wanted from you and, and I think a lot of clients, a lot of brands were always wanting a piece of everyone at that point and you know, I had to say a no to a lot because it was just really tokenistic um, as we were talking about before um, and it was very much a bandwagon at the time so these issues have been around for... <laughs> you know, since colonisation essentially or, you know, a lot of these systemic problems that we have, sexism, racism, racism etc., have been around for a long time. You know, you can't just put up the black tile and like expect that that's enough, you know. You just – you've got to be kind of really understanding how you play a role and just because um, I read a really good quote from the book that we love, <laughs> um, her name's Nezrik. I'll have to find out her last name. It's called We Need New Stories a lot of it is about you know unpacking the systems that we are dismantling kind of the things that we know and especially in the design industry and and the workplace dismantling how those like structures have put barriers in place for people and not kind of cultivated that diversity as well and you know she made a really good chapter um where you know people just because you didn't personally individually do something doesn't mean you aren't a Part of the bigger problem, um, so it's about kind of sitting with that and being like, "Fuck, like, <laughs> you know, I'm uncomfortable that this is what, you know, me and my power and how I've got to where I am has caused." So it's about sitting in your power and privilege and thinking, "What can I do to kind of dismantle what I know, but also kind of be better and for the system and the whole?" And how can I work as a designer, or how can I work in the industry? and like make change that's outside of, I guess, the structures that we've always been living in. So that's, I mean, a loaded question for a lot of people. And it's like, but I think starting with that and starting with like sitting in the uncomfortableness of who you, what you, you know, what, how you've contributed, not personally, but as a, as a whole, yeah, how you benefit from the system and how kind of you displace other people. So yeah, I think it's always starts there and that's the uncomfortable journey that you'll begin. <laughs> That's yeah. Pretty. Thank
0: you.
2: Well, thank you. Thanks
0: for leaving us with that. <laughs> I just want to reiterate that thanks at the end to Keisha. She explains so eloquently and powerfully the work that we as designers have to do, acknowledging our position and how we displace other people. If you want to reach out to Keisha or see her beautiful work, you can find her at leondesign.co. That's L-E-O-N.co. We'll put some links in the show notes as well. If you have any feedback for us, hello at ozdesignradio.com. Next episode, we talk to Peter Brennan, founder and creative director of branding agency Electric and Analog, and co-founder and head of brand of Heaps Normal. Australia Design Radio is produced by me, Matt Leach, with digital advice from Braden Towns, and editing by Madeline Enskey. Till next time.